Well, I don't know about the one-night stand thing. I have not seen anything about that in the economic literature. (laughs) Welcome back to the Bloomberg Benchmark Podcast. I'm your host, Tori Stillwell, an economics reporter in D.C. for Bloomberg News, and I'm joined by my co-host, Aki Ito, in San Francisco. Hey, Aki. Hey, Tori. It's just you and me this week. Dan's visiting his parents, is that right, in Australia? Yeah. Do you think he's going to bring us back a koala? <laughs> I hope so. Koalas are great. Platypuses, platypi, whatever they're called, are great. So hopefully we'll get some sort of like treats, like when dad brings back a gift from it. his business trip. I love it. Um, if this is the first time you're tuning in, uh, Benchmark is the world's most captivating podcast about the global economy and how all of its twists and turns affect you. This week, we're going to be talking about the economics of millennials. Tori, you and I are the perfect people to be talking about this since both you and I are actual millennials ourselves. Um, In the flesh. I'm 28 and a half. And Tori, you just turned 21. (laughs) That's not true. I'm 25. But yeah, I think this should be really fun since we have a a lot to talk about, a lot of ground to cover. Let's start with the definitions first. What actually is a millennial? What's the age range here? Different people define it different ways. Generations are kind of a weird construct, but they are useful in kind of categorizing different groups of Americans. So what I like to use is Pew Research Center's definition, and they define it as people born after 1980. And for general purposes, they look at age range 18 to 34. So if you're born after 1997, you're probably not a millennial, although mm-hmm. that's still up for the debate. What are, what are they called, people who are younger? I think they're calling them Generation Z, um, but who knows, that could totally change. <laughs> so we've officially run out of the alphabet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dan's not a millennial, right? He's got to be older than 35. Dan is definitely not a millennial. <laughs> Well, this week, the millennials go rogue on the Bloomberg Benchmark podcast. Tori, you and I uh, brainstormed a bunch of myths about millennials. Tori, you are incidentally Bloomberg's premier expert on this topic. You're an expert on demographics in general, so you can navigate us through the actual numbers and tell us if each statement is actually a real thing or if it's gross misconception. That's right. And I'm probably not an expert, but I definitely love demographics, so this should be a lot of fun. Awesome. Let's get to it. So uh, millennial myth number one, millennials were the hardest hit generation in the recession. True or false? I would say mostly true. It's sort of up for debate just because the generation right before the millennials, Generation X, was Mm -hmm. also super hardly hit. But let's talk about what happened to millennials first. A lot of them were either just graduated from college or were in college um, when the recession hit. So they probably definitely actually had a really hard time finding jobs. They may have been taking jobs that were below them in terms of education level. You know, you hear about the person who has a degree in marketing or whatever it was, and and they took a job making coffee at Starbucks uh, because that's all they could find. That comes with an income hit for many, many years afterward. So they did get that. The generation right above them, Generation X, they had homes, they had um, money in stocks, definitely to a greater extent than millennials did. Millennials were still pretty young at that point. So they got hit pretty hard too. It's kind of a point to us. 
Well, I can personally attest to this because, you know, I graduated from college in 2009. So that means I was looking for a job in my senior year, which started in the fall of 2008 when everything was collapsing. Yeah, it was a nightmare. I was lucky enough to get this internship with Bloomberg in our Tokyo office, but that was really my only lead. And if I didn't get it, I don't know what I would have done. Um, Tons of my friends didn't have jobs uh, right out of college, and they did things here and there um, until they eventually found a job when the economy got better or, you Mm -hmm. know, they ended up going into grad school. So, you know, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, it's crazy. I I graduated in 2012, so things had gotten slightly better, but people still having a hard time finding something that they they wanted to do, you know? Yeah, definitely. All right, well, I guess that connects to our second myth. Um, millennials are forever doomed as a result. Hopefully not, <laughs> speaking <laughs> as a millennial. But like we just said, there comes with an income hit when you take a job that's at a lower salary at the, at the beginning of your career. Mm-hmm. You know, those first few years of your career are the most important in terms of making headway in your income. If you take a job that's 5000 or 10000 dollars below what you could have gotten in optimal circumstances, that effect can last. And it's going to take you a long time to catch up with that. So at least with their income, they're going to be hurt by that for a few years. Right. So you're saying like, even though I got a job straight out of college and continued to be employed since then, it's been six years for me since I graduated. I may have started with a lower salary than I otherwise would have had I graduated into a better economy. And so today I could be earning, even today I could be earning less than I would have had the economy been better when I graduated from college. Precisely. That's exactly the point. Yeah, well, that's depressing. Um, <laughs> I hope my managers are listening to this. <laughs> Let's move on to the next one. Um, Millennials are the most overeducated generation in the history of the U.S. So I don't know about overeducated, but millennials are definitely very, very highly educated, more educated than, you know, Americans ever have been. So I have some numbers here. In 2013, 47% of people who are 25 to 34 had some kind of post-secondary degree. So this is, you know, a two-year degree, a four-year degree, or maybe a graduate degree. So almost half of the population of these young people had this kind of uh, degree after high school. That's pretty impressive. Um, This number was at about 30% back in the early 1990s. So just over the past, gosh, 15 years, this number has risen um, a lot. Do you think that has anything to do with the recession? Like I said, a lot of my friends, after we graduated, if they couldn't find a job instead of just waiting around and not doing anything, a lot of them decided to go back to school. You know, they got additional degrees, like they went into master's programs or maybe PhD programs, and and a lot of people did this. So you definitely see a big bump after the recession in terms of um, the ratio of people who have post-secondary degrees. Interesting. Moving on to the next one. Millennials are incapable of delaying gratification, and they are not saving for retirement. This is probably my favorite thing to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) I love thinking about retirement. Don't know what that means. Uh, Even though it's at least 40 years ahead of you? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Already planning it out in my head. But... (laughs) 
I think that this is a really interesting topic just because retirement and, and social security is a huge topic for everyone in the U.S. Um, you know, presidential candidates are bringing it up. And in my personal experience, I found that millennials have kind of strong opinions about this. Hmm. So let's let's break it up. Part about saving for retirement, you probably need to have a job to do that. Mm -hmm. And what we know is that the job market for millennials has gotten much better. You know, if we look at the unemployment rate for people who are 25 to 34 years old, you know, so out of college, have been in the labor market for a couple of years now, hopefully, it's at 5.3%. So that's a little bit higher than the the overall level, which is 5.1%, but still pretty good. So they have jobs. And what we're finding is that the ones who, you know, have access to jobs where their employers offer 401k plans, they are taking those. So they're actually contributing into their 401ks. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So there's this uh, there's a study last year from the Transamerica Center for Retirement Studies. They actually found that 71% of millennials who were offered 401ks or similar plans took part and contributed a median 8% of their salaries. And huh. that sounds it sound it sounded like a lot to me. It was really surprising to me, but a lot of it has to do with 401k's no longer being you have to opt into it. People are being automatically enrolled these days. Right. Um, so they are actually saving for retirement and it might be because they just don't think social security will be there for them at all. You know, half of millennials don't think that there will be any money for them in the social security system by the time they're ready to retire. And that number is coming from Pew. Gosh, that's that's really pessimistic. I, I don't know. I mean, I think I think social security will be around by the time we retire, even if it's kind of in a different form than it is today. Yeah, you're in this second bucket that it's, it's about 40 percent say that the system will only be able to provide them with benefits at reduced levels, and then 6% think that they're going to get the level enjoyed by current retirees, which I think is extremely optimistic. Hmm. Well, okay, so it is a gross misconception to think that millennials are just blowing all their money on the next fancy Nike sneakers or something. They actually are saving for retirement. Mm-hmm. Let's get on to the next myth. Uh, Millennials are not in the stock market. Um, They've shied away from the stock market, and uh, whatever meager savings they have, they've kept it in cash. Well, I think this connects to what we were just talking about really well, because if, if they are participating in these 401k plans, chances are they have some equity in there. Hopefully it's not all bonds. So they probably are in the stock market in some sort of way. We do have evidence. There are several studies that show that millennials say they're risk averse and that they don't want to be in the stock market. But if they're participating in 401k plans, then they probably are. So if we're looking at like, you know, directly managed stocks, probably to a lesser extent. Yeah, so it's better to just kind of keep it out of their own control if possible. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I'm okay with that. (laughs) Leave it to the pros. Okay, let's get on to the next one. Um, Millennials shy away from credit. They don't take on loans. Yes. So definitely after, immediately after the recession, there was a ton of evidence that showed this. You know, they were plastic shy. I remember even a story trying to figure out what would happen with millennials' credit reports because they, they didn't have a lot of it. They didn't have right. credit cards. There was just no way. But there there has been evidence that they are gradually taking on more 
they're gradually using credit cards or taking on more debt. But they're not being super irresponsible about it. You know, we've seen research that shows that they have student loans and they're not, if they have a ton of student debt, they're probably not out buying a house and acquiring housing debt. I think what's interesting about the millennials is they definitely have different kinds of debt than probably our predecessors did. They have student loans out the wazoo, but they're not being completely grossly irresponsible in general with credit card debt, and they, they are probably not hopping into the housing market before they should be. Huh. So in some ways, millennials are more responsible than their predecessors. I would say in some ways. Yeah. Take that, old people. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get on to the next one. Millennials don't want to buy their own homes, and they will only rent. Right. I think this is really this has huge implications for the housing market, which is a pretty big pillar of the economy. You know, if we have people that never want to own homes, then they're probably not going to you know, spend a ton of money outfitting those homes with all the things that you would need, you know, buying washers and dryers and stoves mm-hmm. and like all the furniture that you would need to fill a house versus my tiny 850 square foot apartment in DC. But what we've seen in the surveys is that millennials do want to own a home. You know, I've seen estimates ranging from like 60 to 80% saying that they would like to at, at some point own a home. And, you know, they definitely have been behind the curve in terms of doing that, putting those those desires into action compared to other generations. But also, like we said, they were hit pretty hard by the recession. They don't have a lot of just extra money laying around mm-hmm. uh, for a down payment. So the thinking goes that as the labor market improves, as we they get more, you know, we get more of them in jobs, they get higher incomes, et cetera, they'll be able to save up money for that down payment and to buy a home. And we are seeing the household formation numbers slowly start to creep up, and that has great implications for the housing market. Do you think I'll ever be able to buy a home here in San Francisco? Um, I don't know. The answer to that might depress you. (laughs) I might need to move out to the East Bay or something. (laughs) Oh, this is a good one. So we are the tender generation and millennials only have one night stands and are consequently delaying marriage and babies and all they care about is hooking up and the economy is never going to benefit from the fruits of having a family. Well, I don't know about the one night stand thing. I have not seen anything about that in the economic literature. Millennials are certainly delaying um, when they're getting married and when they have their first child. That age has been creeping up more and more and more. And, you know, the longer you wait to have your first child, the fewer children you're likely to have, too. So that means eventually a lower birth rate. You know, when you have fewer children, you uh, end up spending, you know, children are really expensive, so, like, that means, like, less spending. Uh, It also means that over time, the demographic composition of the country shifts, so there are fewer working-age people to support retirees, which... Tori, you and I, we are eventually going to retire, and we eventually will really depend on our grandchildren to support us. So this definitely does have uh, economic consequences. Yeah, so I see the the mean age of mothers having their first child was 25.8 years in 2012. 
and that's up from 21.4 years in 1970. So like you said, it's been a really slow climb up, but it's definitely there. And the interesting thing is, you know, whether this is going to reverse at all, because I know a lot of demographers that I talk to chalked some of this up to the recession and you know your people are going to be less likely to have children if they don't think that they can pay for them you know Mm -hmm. there's some speculation that as the economy recovers so too will fertility and the fertility rate actually just increased for the first time since 2007 so maybe there is some credibility to that but we'll have to wait to see if more years bear that out All right. This is a good one. Millennials are slackers in the office and they just can't commit to a single job. So they end up job hopping. I think it's interesting because it's a myth. And I think a lot of people know friends who who job hop a lot or, you know, only stay a year or two. I personally know people like that, but it's not super been borne out in the data is the only thing. You know, across the U.S., 10 year, ten year, so, you know, the number of years that you're spending at a, at a place has been ticking up slowly, 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 just by small increments as well. And that may have something to do with the aging of the population, but mm-hmm. even when you break it out at age groups and you look to, to the age range that includes millennials, they're not, their tenure isn't shrinking by a ton. It's, it's basically flat. So there seems to be something afoot, because I guess maybe all these anecdotes you hear in the media and among friends and stuff can't aren't necessarily wrong, but it just hasn't started to show up in the data yet. I don't know. I think the jury's still out on that one. Well, Tori, you and I have been with Bloomberg the whole time uh, since we've graduated from college. So, you know, it's been six years for me. How long has it been for you? Three years? Three years. Yeah, three years for you. And I think I know one other person who's had the same job since uh, we graduated in my class, but everyone else has switched jobs a lot. But that could more be about the specific local economy I'm in in San Francisco. Like the job market is just so hot for technical talent that it might just mean that, you know, people are switching for jobs. newer, better opportunities more often. Yeah, and we definitely, I mean, you can't argue that there's more, there's a greater ability to switch jobs more often if you want, you know, with LinkedIn and all other sorts of job search platforms. Indeed is another one that comes to mind. So if people want to job hop more, it's, they're definitely able to. Well, I guess I've been happy with Bloomberg so far. (laughs) Last one here. Millennials are amazing. You know, it's really funny because I don't think millennials themselves think that they're amazing. I read a really... Really? really? I thought we were supposed to be like the me generation. (laughs) I read a really depressing uh, report from Pew that came out this month. And millennials, it finds are far more likely than older generations to say that the terms self-absorbed, wasteful, and greedy apply to people in their age cohort. Um, (laughs) So they're like the self-loathing generation. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So 59% say that the term self-absorbed describes their generation compared with 30% among Gen Xers, 20% of boomers. Wow. Well, here's a hypothesis. Maybe they're just more self-aware. 
I mean, and that's not a bad thing. They Pew has also found that millennials are more accepting of homosexuality, interracial marriage, and hold more positive views of immigrants. So they're very multifaceted, um, but I think self-loathing is not an inaccurate way to describe them. And that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening to Bloomberg's Benchmark. We will be back next week. And until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and on Bloomberg.com. We are also on iTunes. And while you're there, please take a minute to rate the show so more listeners can find us. And let us know what you thought of the show. Our Twitter handles are at AkiIto7 and at Tori Stowell with one L in the middle. We would love to hear your feedback. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.